with that being said, I do want to turn our attention to the Word of God. We are continuing in our journey through the book of Colossians, a letter written by a missionary pastor to a church that he had never been to because it was his associates that had planted that church. He had never been there. Malcolm and Joy, does that sound at all familiar to you today? Does that, trying to lead a church that has received the gospel, but now is in this process of growing up in their faith, despite the fact that you've never actually been there. Circumstances have prevented you from being there. Last week, we heard Paul address the change in our nature that takes place when we come to Christ. This metaphorical cutting away, surgically removing the sinful nature in our lives. Now, as we looked at that text last week, we recognized that Paul's focus wasn't so much on the minutia of our behavior as it was on kind of the broader principles that make up our nature. They make up our proclivities. They make up our tendencies. But in the next couple of paragraphs, what we're going to read today, he turns his attention toward those who would claim that true Christianity is best defined by detailed rules. This is the thou shalt and the thou shalt not crowd, right? Paul's going to turn his attention that way. Now, it seems as best we can understand from scripture that there were folks in Colossae that had taught the Colossian Christians that the best way to obey the scriptures and honor God was to establish very strict routines of behavior. And Paul's going to take issue with some of those ideas. So let's read beginning in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 16, and I'm going to read through to the end of the chapter again from the New Living Translation. Paul writes this, So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, or for not celebrating certain holy days, or new moon ceremonies, or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come, and Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying that they have had visions about such things. Their sinful minds have made them proud and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments and it grows as God nourishes it. You have died with Christ. And he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep following the rules of the world? Such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These these rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion and pious self-denial and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. I want to give you this thought just for a moment. Consider this to to yourself. What is Christianity? If an alien from the planet Mars was to show up and say to you, I've encountered this word a bunch of times, Christianity, but I don't know what it means. What 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 is Christianity. What's the simplest way that we could answer that question? I think the first word that comes to mind for most of us is it's a religion. It's not a philosophy, though it certainly incorporates things that we might 
referred to as philosophical in nature. It's certainly not a political ideology. It's not a social construct. It has implications for all of those things, but it isn't any of those things. Christianity, I would argue, is in fact a religion. In recent years though, the word religion has taken up some pretty negative connotations. And so I think there's a lot of us who would claim Christ but shy away from the word religion or religious. I know a number of Christians who don't like to use the word religion at all. They say, oh, I don't follow a religion. I follow a man. I follow Jesus. Many will say it's about relationship, not religion. And I certainly understand what they mean by that in that we need to have a focus on our relationship with Jesus. Clearly, Paul would agree with that. We've read through Colossians thus far. We've heard him say again and again and again, Jesus Christ is supreme overall in the church. He is the beginning and the end in the passage we just read. He said he, he is the head of the body. So certainly relationship is important. But I disagree that that's all it is. Christianity isn't merely a relationship. I believe it is, in fact, a religion. Now, what's the difference? Well, there's some things that religions have that relationships don't necessarily have. Religions have shared beliefs. Let me give you an example. Kelly, Garrett, Kat, Jenna, the staff here at HRCC. Every one of them has a relationship with me. But they might have different beliefs about me. Some of them think I'm a good boss. Maybe some of them think I'm not so hot when it comes to being a boss. Some of them think I'm a good preacher, I hope. But some of them may say, eh, I've heard better. They have different opinions about me. They have different beliefs about me. So just saying Christians are a people with a relationship with Jesus ignores the very essential component of our shared beliefs about Jesus. Uh, religions also have shared experiences. Again, think about the church staff, Kelly, Garrett, Kat, and Jenna. They all have a relationship with me, but we don't have the same experiences. We don't all do the same things together. Garrett and I have traveled together a number of times. We've been to Haiti. We've been to conferences throughout the U.S. Jenna and I stand up here and make music together. Kelly and I administrate things together. We work on organizational things together. There are the things that we do together, the, the ways we work on our relationships differ relationship to relationship. Throughout the Bible, there are plenty of people that have relationships with Jesus, but never made him Lord of their life. Couldn't we say the same thing today? Religions also have shared practices. And again, I'll point you to the church staff. Kelly, Garrett, Kat, Jenna, they all have a relationship with me. But they don't all do the same things. Kelly's role doesn't look anything like Jenna's role. Yes, in the church, we have different spiritual gifts. And so we function in different ways in the body. But our various gifts do not negate the fact that our shared religion compels all of us to do many of the same things. All of us pray. All of us give generously. All of us forgive one another. All of us worship, etc., etc., etc. There are some things, there are many things that we all do because Christianity isn't about a one-on-one -on -one relationship that I happen to have with Jesus. It is, in fact, I would argue, a religion. I could go on and on and on. Suffice to say, your pastor thinks Christianity is a religion. 
And those shared practices that I talked about often get pretty specific in religion. That's what religions tend to do. Say, hey, we all do this thing. And that can be a good thing. But I think what Paul is writing here is that he's trying to tell us something. He's trying to say this. Religious disciplines have their limitations. They have their limitations. Now, before we go any further, let me clarify what I believe Paul is referring to and what I mean when I say religious disciplines. There are specific things that the Bible instructs us to do. And I don't think for one minute Paul is trying to give us license to ignore scriptural commands. But oftentimes in religion, we encounter discipline regimens that people recommend or in some cases even require. And that's not always a bad idea because in some cases those kinds of things can be helpful in guiding us towards the life-giving commands of scripture. Let me give you an example. Praying before meals. The Bible never says thou shalt pray before thy consume thy french fries. Right? It does not say that in the Bible. There's no biblical command that Christians have to pray before every meal. A lot of Christians have made that a habit. They've made it a practice. I can tell you that when I go out to lunch with people who know I'm a pastor, there's almost always kind of an awkward kind of, do we have to pray in the restaurant? Do we pray? I know you're a pastor, so you're probably going to pray now. Is that, do I pray? Do you pray? When do we pray? Should we pray now? I don't, you know. Can we eat the bread before we pray? Does the bread get unsanctified if we haven't prayed? Is it when the soup and salad comes or is it before? The, you see what I'm saying? Right? Now, praying before a meal isn't necessarily a bad thing if it's helping us to develop a regular rhythm of gratitude. That's a good thing. If it's helping us to remind and you know, we need to be in prayer. So if nothing else, I pray at least as often as I eat. <laughs> right? These are good things. But, but, but God didn't say thou shalt pray before night french fries. Growing up means understanding the difference between the two. The difference between the God commandment and the man-made religious discipline. And it also means recognizing that the man-made discipline has its limitations. Just because you pray every time you eat doesn't mean you have a healthy prayer life. You know what I'm saying? They have their limitations. And Paul describes the limitations this way in verse 22. He says, such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate. Projections say that this evening, about 117 million people around the world are gonna watch the Super Bowl. The athletes involved are at the absolute peak of their craft. Some of them are the best that we've ever seen at what they do. And there are lots of different disciplines that preceded the game. And some of them, I think, were very, very helpful, probably. You know, specific diets that they followed, weightlifting routines, uh, different kinds of training and practice, all helped them to get to where they are today. Some of their disciplines, I would argue, Maybe not quite so helpful. Listen to the same song before every game. Uh, put on my pads and, and tape my fingers in the same order every time before the game. Wear my lucky socks or undershirt that I haven't laundered since the last time we lost. Some of these things are probably not realistically helpful. And while we find routines like that that the players go through interesting or, or maybe amusing, 
That's not the reason that 117 people are going to watch the Super Bowl today. We aren't tuning in to see the disciplines that preceded the main event. Those things all fade away. Our only interest is in the thing that all of that preparation points to, the big game. And it's the same thing with man-made religious disciplines. Whether they help us or not, the discipline itself isn't what we came for. That's not what we're here for. It doesn't even really resemble the real thing any more than a plate of chicken parm, 100 push-ups, and a pair of lucky socks looks like a football game, right? The problem with religious disciplines is that they don't look like heaven. They don't look like heaven. Let me give you an example. One religious discipline that's very common in Christianity is fasting. And I would tell you that fasting is a biblical idea. It is a biblical principle. It is a good idea. It's something that Jesus upholds. And Christians ought to be people who fast. But Jesus doesn't give us specific rules about when we have to fast or how we have to fast or precisely what that should work. I think he essentially says this ought to be part of your rhythm, your lifestyle. Now, interestingly, Jesus actually has more to say about when fasting is unnecessary than when it's necessary. He would get into trouble with the really religious folks who would say, you and your followers don't fast enough. And Jesus would say, I think you've missed the point here. But fasting is a good idea. I have fasted regularly throughout my life. And let me tell you, when I have fasted meals for various periods of time, sometimes a portion of a day, sometimes a day, sometimes many days in a row, here's how I feel when I have fasted. Hunger. And never once have I been in the middle of a lengthy fast and thought, man, this must be what heaven is like. No, that's not how I feel. I feel hungry when I fast. Now, I have some good prayer time when I fast. I reap spiritual benefits and rewards when I fast. But I feel hungry. And I'm not ashamed to tell you that because in the Bible, Jesus fasted. And the Bible says when he was done fasting, you know how he felt? He felt hungry. I'm just trying to be like Jesus, y'all. Right? But never once have I fasted and thought, this must be what heaven is like. Right? The discipline is important, but it doesn't look like heaven. Thankfully, as a matter of fact, heaven is actually described as a giant feast. Now, there's a religious discipline I can get behind. Fasting might be helpful now, but its usefulness is someday going to come to an end. It doesn't really on its own point us toward or get us closer to heaven. Just like Paul said, we just read it in verse 17, for those rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. It may be the case that Christians sometimes have placed too much focus on religious disciplines that aren't really all that fun. And they don't do a good job of pointing us towards a heaven reality. And as a result, the world looks at us and they get the wrong idea about the kingdom of God. Billy Joel, one of my favorite prophets, has famously sung, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. Because the sinners have much more fun, don't you know, that only the good die young. Right? How about that perspective? I would rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. There's something about our religious disciplines that when unhealthy don't look very much like heaven. 
There are a few other pitfalls with religious disciplines. One important one is that they can lead to pride instead of leading to Jesus. The purpose of any religious discipline should be to draw us closer to Jesus. Now remember, we've already heard Paul tell the Colossians that in the church, everything starts and everything ends with Jesus. That includes the disciplines or the routines or the rules or the structures that we take on. The problem occurs when people start making the discipline the focus of the religion or the focus of their religious beliefs. When that happens, it's a very slippery slope, a very short journey to pride. Look how religious I am. I pray more than anybody I know. I memorized more verses than anybody that I know and I've got the pins on my Awana vest to prove it. I have attended more worship services. I attended four live and I've been Zooming the rest of them all week long than anybody I know. I support more missionaries than anybody in this whole church. Now, all of those things are good things, decent things, but not the point of Christianity. Or how about when those good things start to bleed over into extra biblical things? into man-made things, into some of the things that really have nothing to do with what Jesus wants us to do. We say, look how religious I am. I don't drink alcohol. I don't watch rated R movies. I won't let my daughter wear a two-piece bathing suit when she goes swimming, and I don't eat fast food because this body is a temple, unless it's Chick-fil-A, because real Christians eat Chick-fil-A, right? (laughs) Speaking of folks who have made things like that their goal, Paul says this, verse 18, their sinful minds have made them proud. Proud in how they act. Proud in what they do. Proud in what they don't do. Proud in who they are, and they don't look anything like Jesus. I had a friend in college who was an avid, avid bodybuilder. This guy was in the gym lifting all the time. He had grown up small. As a boy, he was smaller than all the other kids. He was weaker than all the other kids. So in his late teens, he decided he was gonna do something about it. And he started working out and specifically lifting. By the time I met him in college, he was the most muscular guy I knew. And he would lift and lift and lift and lift all the time. He was really educated about it. He knew a lot. He knew all of the things. And for the most part, he did a good job of it. But predictably, I remember a time when he pushed it too far. And he pulled a muscle in his back and it laid him out. He absolutely could not move for a solid week. And I remember him saying, man, the iron." I do all of this because I want to be stronger than everybody else and I want to be healthier than anybody else and it's made me weak (laughs) and it's made me unhealthy. Do we see how disciplines could potentially do the same thing to us? Is this making you healthier? Is this making you more like Jesus? Or, as Paul is saying, is this making you prideful? Not at all like Jesus. We need to watch out religious disciplines. They have their limitations. Growing up in the faith means you are going to be exposed to a number of different disciplines that you might choose to undertake. If they make you more like Jesus, great. Go for it. But if not, skip it. Skip it. 
There's a good reason these kinds of religious disciplines have their limitation. And Paul gets right to the heart of the matter. He says, look, they don't defeat evil. They don't defeat evil. Remember what we just heard him say. Last week, we talked through it, the whole purpose of removing the sinful nature. He's saying, look, Christ has done that for you. You can't do it by fasting a little harder. You can't do it by praying a certain way in a certain posture. You can't do it by doing this five times and then this this three times and then this twice and then coming back to the five times again. None of that is going to defeat the curse of evil in your life. Paul says that all the religious disciplines in the world cannot duplicate what Christ has already done for you. Verse 23, he says, these things provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. In fact, I would argue that sometimes they, they actually do the opposite. Remember when I talked about fasting? How did I tell you I feel when I fast? When I fast, I feel hungry, right? Do you see the irony there? I'm trying to discipline myself to remove myself from the hold that food has over me But oftentimes in the midst of that, my hunger becomes even more present in my mind. Fasting doesn't ultimately make me less hungry. It often makes me more hungry. Disciplines can work the same way if we're not careful. The very act of trying in my own power, that's key, right? The act of trying in my own power to avoid something makes that very thing all the more attractive to me. Paul wrestled with this elsewhere. He wrote to the church in Rome, I have discovered this principle in life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. How many of us can identify with that kind of struggle? Look, church, here's the bottom line. Paul is telling the Colossians that as you continue in the faith, it's going to happen. You're going to meet people who are going to tell you that real Christians live a particular way. Drawing on the experiences of our guests today. They minister in a place where the cloud of confusion about what Christianity is, is incredibly thick. And so we go to a village and we share the gospel and people come to faith with great rejoicing, just as they did in Colossae. And then the days go by, the weeks go by, the months go by, and all of a sudden they're hearing this nonsense from this direction about what Christianity is. And they're hearing that nonsense from that direction about what Christianity is. And people are telling them, oh no, you still gotta go to the voodoo priest. People are telling them, oh, it only works if you go to this particular kind of church. People are telling them the ancestors said that you have to pray this certain way. They're telling them all these things and a great deal of the ministry in Haiti is what Paul's doing in Colossae here, saying we've got to mop this garbage up and get back to Jesus. How different is it in the United States? Not very. Oh, some of the temptations are very different because the culture is very different. Some of the issues are different, but the real principles behind it, we've got to get back to Jesus. No different. You're going to meet people who will tell you that Christians live this way. Real Christians only do this. Real Christians never do that. Real Christians always avoid this. Real Christians forbid experiencing that. And growing up means learning how to respond to those situations. First, we need to be able to determine if the issue at hand goes against what the Bible says. 
Some of the things Paul mentions to the Colossians fall into this category. He says, worshiping angels, right? The Bible specifically says, don't do it. Don't do it. So that's a pretty simple one, or it ought to be if we've grown up. That's a pretty simple one. If somebody is telling you real Christians do this thing and the Bible says, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, game over. Ends right there. It's done. And obviously we need to avoid giving heed to any disciplines like that. But there's others that are a little bit more difficult to discern. Gray areas or neutral things. Things that might pertain to issues that are fine traditions in and of themselves, not anything that the Bible specifically prohibits or tells us we should do. Uh, dietary restrictions, uh, observance of holidays. Paul wrote about that. Some of you observe the Sabbath on this day. Some of you observe it on that way. Don't make it an issue between you. In such cases, we need to likewise avoid making these things divisive. Let's not make them the things that define who we are in Christ. I can't tell you how many times especially in the last two years or so, I've had people say to me, I just don't understand how a Christian could, and then they fill in the blank. And folks, the overwhelming number of times I've heard that sentiment, I've grieved. I've grieved. Because we've taken disciplines, we've taken political ideology, we've taken social construct, we've taken all of these sorts of things and made them the basis of our faith. I just don't understand how a Christian could. And I want to say, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Some folks may choose to follow certain disciplines. Others may not. In moderation, usually, that's fine. But we all, we all need to understand that these are not the essentials. On their own, they don't look like heaven. They have the potential to develop more pride than Christ-likeness. And they are ultimately powerless to change us. So what makes a Christian a Christian? It's certainly not the empty traditions that some adhere to and others don't. But what did I say at the beginning? Shared practices. There are things that the Lord has given us. Our baptism our gathering, our communion. We have been told by Jesus, do this and keep doing these things until I come back. Shared practices, make a Christian a Christian. Shared experiences, the encounter that I've had with the power and the presence of God, the experience of being forgiven of my sins and my submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. These shared experiences are what make Christians Christians. Shared beliefs, that commitment we have to the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, the conviction that God has saved us by his grace rather than through anything we have done by ourselves. These things make a Christian a Christian. These are the things that matter. And unlike many of the empty religious disciplines that we might encounter as we grow up, these things They have no limitations. Let's pray. Father, we receive your word today. We try and find ourselves in the story. There are ways in which we identify with Paul, who is burdened for a church of believers that he has never met. 
A church that worships in a land distant from where he is at that moment. And yet his heart is for them because he recognizes in faith his brothers and his sisters in the faith. But Lord, there are ways in which we likewise identify with the Colossians. The world would tell us Christianity is this. Faith means that. In the world we live in, in the day and age where we live, God, the world has even taken our words. <laughs> They've taken our words and redefined them. Liberal, that was our word. And they changed what it meant. Evangelical, that was our word. And they changed what it meant. And we're now defined by a whole new set of things that have nothing to do with the Lordship of Jesus. God, we have to be wiser than that. We have to be better able to discern. I rejoice that there are, in my fellowship, folks who will choose to observe different traditions, different ways. I'm grateful for that diversity, but Lord, I want to be careful that all of it points us to Christ. I want to be careful that all of it points us, points us to the unity in the faith and not division about this one eats that food and that one eats this food. I want to recognize, Lord, just as we heard Paul say in the very beginning of his letter, we are part of a great big tribe. A great big tribe. And it's not my job to try and keep people out because of man-made constructs. God, help us to know the difference. Help us to know the difference. But Lord, we have to be very, very careful not to throw the theological baby out with the bathwater here. Because there is the supremacy, the centrality, the absolute essential nature of our relationship to and with Jesus Christ. So let it never be said with us that we got so permissive that we just, oh, anything goes. We're reminded that Paul would write to others, you know, y'all are proud about who you let in, and that wasn't what I had in mind either. God, we just need to be wise. We just need to be wise. So Lord, my prayer is this, for Hobson Road Community Church, for one another, Lord, we pray that you would help us to focus our hearts and our minds, our thoughts and our actions on Jesus. That we would be guided by the things that he has said. And Lord, the things that you have said throughout your word. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand how we might avoid excess on one side or the other. But Lord, that we would walk as you would have us to walk. I pray that this body of believers would look so much like Jesus that there would be no reason to question that we have done too much or done too little. Lord, we want to reflect your glory to the communities and to the nations. Make it so according to your plans for us. We thank you for all of these things in the sufficient name of Jesus. And everybody says... Amen. Amen. Amen.